When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Tuesday, December 10th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 344, featuring Boston Globe National NBA writer Gary Washburn, is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Show is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. Get three months free when you purchase a yearly subscription by going to ExpressVPN. We're back, and you know what? Celtics are playing pretty damn well. 17 and 5, second in the East, third in the NBA behind the Lakers and Bucks, and a perfect 10 and 0 at home after blowing out those horrid Cavaliers last night. Seas of 1 4 straight, 6 of 7. That's a lot of numbers to tell you what you already know, which is this team really good, and the fans, you, you love it. So does Brad Stevens. It's a special city to coach in, it's a special city to play in. We said from day one with this group, you know, our number one objective was to be a team that Boston liked. That's it. So we'll hopefully, you know, be that. Well, mission accomplished, Coach. Welcome into another edition of Celtics Beat. Appreciate your patience with us, of course, releasing on a Tuesday. I know far from the normal Sunday, but there are various reasons that we pushed it today. And one of which, frankly, I'm happy about is that we were able to wait for the return of Gordon Hayward. So we'll react to that, among other things. Kaufman back with you alongside Boston Globe National NBA writer Gary Washburn. Gary, how's it going? Pretty good, Adam. Pretty good. How's it going? Good. I'm always happy to have you here, and I know we'll uh, chat for a while about a whole bunch of different things, but just broad scope. Here's where I want to begin, especially since you cover the entire league and not just the Seas. I've been saying for a while, if everything breaks right, Celts can win the East. And I didn't mean the regular season when I started first saying that. I meant representing the conference in the finals. But what's kind of funny is sometimes, you know, we say things, but only recently do I feel like I've actually bought into my own take. It felt like a long if, you know, that if everything breaks right. And now seems like a legit possibility. And yes, I say that while acknowledging that the Bucks have won 15 straight. Yeah, I think there's a chance. I think that they've, um, a quarter way into the season, things are kind of shaking out. They are the second best team from what I see in the East. I mean, Milwaukee is just blowing teams out. but They played a very light schedule, but then they played the Clippers at home with Kawhi and blew them out. So I think the Bucks are at, an, at another level right now. Uh, and I know the two teams play next month, early next month in Milwaukee, so that should be an interesting matchup. Um, I think Philadelphia has shown some weaknesses and some flaws, been up and down. Um, Indiana has been up and down. Miami's a team that is pretty good but then kind of folded after the middle way through the first half against the Celtics um, last week. So the Celtics have a good shot um, to at least make the conference finals at this point if they continue. And I don't think people have seen, and we haven't seen really what they can do as a full squad with Gordon Hayward. Now Kansas healthy too, so this is their first time um, they've had a full squad uh, when they get Marcus Smart back from his eye infection um, to make that run, get co- cohesion, learn how to play better together, all of the above. To that point, though, just talking about some of those injuries and, and absences, things that have kept them out. You know, you mentioned Marcus Smart, the eye infection, so we'll see if, if he's able to play this next game. But even before that, had some nagging injuries and, uh, you know, would, would miss time here and there. The the one game more recently and, and even just a little limited earlier than that. And as Cantor had that long stretch, Daniel Tice missed games. Gordon Hayward, obviously. Kemba Walker had that very short absence when it looked like it could have been much longer when, when he had the, the next stinger. And, and potential concussions. So we haven't seen them as that full group, as you acknowledged. And 
when we do, you know, when they are all back and not just back for a game, but back for a, a stretch of games, what do you think this this team's realistic potential is? I know you said that, hey, there's a chance that, that they could go to the NBA Finals, but from a night-in, night-out standpoint, should we expect really what we've been seeing, that, that this group is just a lot better than we expected coming into the year? I mean, I think we really don't know what we could see when this team is fully healthy, and that's probably a good thing because, you know, you got Robert Williams who needs to get some games in, I mean, and, and stay healthy and stay away from these nagging injuries. Um, Cantor said he's, he's starting to get his rhythm back. Hayward obviously now back. Smart going to get back. So, I mean, I, I think they can get get even better. And I don't think they've been playing very good basketball of late. You know, very slow starts, kind of, you know, they eked out a win over the Knicks. Um, They have um, not been as efficient as they were since probably uh, that Clippers game. You know, the Denver game, you can kind of mark that as an exception because of Kimba's injury, but they've been kind of, Hanging on. I was impressed with their win over Denver. They, they kind of blew Denver out. Denver's won at Boston the last couple of years. Um, Denver's kind of had their number. So that was a good victory. Uh, but, you know, they didn't play well at, at Brooklyn. Um, so they, they got in, 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 they have some tests coming up Indiana, Philadelphia back to back. Dallas at Dallas next week. All they get, they get a nice little break before that. So it's a lot. Um, if you're the Celtics to look forward to, Celtics fans to look forward to, to see how this team meshes. And, you know, I think, Adam, they're building equity right now. You just keep winning these games. Yep. And it will. the reason that two years ago they were the number one seed was they got off to that 16-2 and two start. And that's how they were able to claim it. And, you know, these games in November, December are just as important as March and April in terms of the standings. So I think it's good they're they're winning these games, building equity, because the season's going to get progressively tougher. They got to go back out west. Um, you know, they've they've got a couple more matchups with Milwaukee. Obviously, three more matchups with Philly, um, three more with Toronto. So it's going to get more difficult. But I think what they're doing now is very good. Three right. games back of the Bucks right now. One thing that's that you tell me if if this is fair. I, I've been thinking about this quite frankly a lot over you know the last couple of weeks. This is not a a recent opinion. The fact that people you see it in your Twitter mentions, I'm sure fans are just really excited about what's going on. Excited about seventeen and five. Excited about the differences in in chemistry and togetherness, and obviously results as compared to last year and. And just the general excitement that Kyrie Irving's gone. I think there's a whole lot of that. But I think it it gets ratcheted up to another level. Whereas I say, for instance, that I think the Celtics could reach the NBA Finals. I think you have a lot of Celtics fans out there that are really bleeding green that think, hey, this is a foregone conclusion. Of course these guys are going to be in the NBA Finals. Look at how good they are. But when it comes to actually looking at the roster, I feel like whereas last year's team was very deep talent-wise, there was a lot of potential there, very deep talent-wise, but not very balanced, and that obviously you know came to roost. This year's club very balanced, not all that deep. You know, you got four guys that are all averaging eighteen plus points. I think that could absolutely continue over the course of the season if they keep playing the way they're playing. But I am still a little bit concerned about the bench, that second unit, the reserves. I know it's not all about offense; it's not all about putting up points, and and they've shown that. But that lack of of real depth from that group really after your top seven. That's a little bit concerning to me. Yeah, I mean, they're going to need some um, guys to step up. Um, You hope, if you're a Celtics fan, that the experience gained right now by Grant Williams and Carson Edwards, and it's been a tough road for both of those guys, will pay off in in March and April, that they'll be more, more than rookies, they'll be more capable and more reliable. I think Brad Wanamaker has been amazing this year. I mean, he has really, you know, fortified that bench and brought some scoring. Um, they could obviously use another outside shooter, a, a guy uh, who can come off the bench, hit some threes, maybe be a, more of a defensive presence. Um, Cantor, you know, has, has added a spark. But, <clears throat> Adam, I definitely think that they're um, – 
their benches could use is lacking a little bit now. Could they uh, achieve their goals and accomplish what they want with their current bench? Yeah, potentially. Um, they just have to hope that guys get better, that the Williams gets better, both Williams gets better. Um, Edwards begins to hit some of those jumpers. I mean, we, we really haven't seen Edwards play well all season since the eight three-pointer game in Cleveland in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. I don't know if that was a bad thing for him, but, you know, he's been pressing and and then defensively teams have been picking on him, understandably, and so he's been picking up fouls and et cetera. So you just hope if you're a Celtics fan that uh, this the bench picks up. Um, you know, and we'll see what happens, obviously, uh, coming up this week. Um, <clears throat> trade should be a little bit more, you know, open because guys who just signed contracts are eligible to be traded. Ten-day contracts begin next month. Um, you know, obviously the Celtics would have to make a roster move to to sign someone because they have 15 guys. But um, I think there's possibilities there. And then I like, uh, you know, maybe they give a guy like Javante Green more time. I think he's done well in his uh, small spurts of playing time. So I think the bench has potential, but I think the key is the Williams guys and Carson Edwards. They've got to take a step forward. To that end, as far as potentially making a roster move, potential trades, it's something people have been talking about going back to the off season and continue to talk about and, and execs, players, whomever continue to be asked about, you know, do you need help? Do you need another big? Is, is that combination of Ennis Cantor, Robert Williams, Daniel Tice, you know, Vincent Poirier, who I, I think has not certainly lived up to this point to whatever expectations people had for him coming in. That group has not necessarily given you the warm and fuzzies about, hey, they're the answer. We don't need another big. So Danny Ainge on the Sports Hub last week was asked, do you feel like you need a big elsewhere? Here's what he said. You know, I, I don't really want to address that issue just because, um, I, I, you know, that make, means that I'm not happy with the guys that we have. I, I'm excited about what Cantor has brought to us, what Rob is developing into, and Daniel has, has been the most consistent contributor at, at, at that position for us so far. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to find ways to improve our team, but you know, you do hear a lot that, oh, you know, Celtics are a big man away, a big man away. Well, yeah, we're, if we had Bill Russell, we'd be a favorite for the title. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, our guys are playing hard and they're, and they're battling against the other team's bigs all, you know, every night and we're doing it by committee and it's been fun to watch. You mentioned there could be some possibilities there, Gary. I know. More recently, people have talked about Kevin Love or Andre Drummond. You know, those are obviously big fish with big salaries where you're really remaking your roster if you're making a move like that. And I don't think either one is remotely realistic. You can tell me if you disagree. But what do you think is a realistic possibility if this club is looking to go out and upgrade? Yeah, that's a good question. It all depends on what salary they want to give up because if you want to get Kevin Love, you're going to have to give up Gordon Hayward. Okay? And then – uh, a draft pick because Gordon's got to opt out this year. So if you trade Gordon to a bad team, uh, you know, does Gordon opt in after having a really good year, which he's having, or does he opt out and try free agency again? Uh, that's a good question. So there's always a kind of a caveat, a trick <clears throat> to Hayward. Um, you know, this team is locked into salary so much, it's, just, it's hard, like, to make a big trade, it's hard. They don't have a guy to just to throw away. Unless you want to trade Cantor, unless you want to trade Tice, unless you want to trade um, Marcus Smart. Like you know, that's going to be the price. You know, because Wanamaker doesn't make enough to, to facilitate a trade, um, or you're going to trade one of your rookies, but you're going to have to add some salary. See, that's a, that's a thing about the Celtic salary structure. Is I mean, everybody that they don't have a bad contract or a guy who's not playing that they can dump, uh, you know, let's say, you know ha- how it is, Adam, trade bad contract for bad contract mm-hmm. and then add in a dra- draft pick. You know, that's really not possible here. If you look at the, if you look at the roster, um, you know, I don't think they want, they would think about trading smart 
you know, but that's the, you know, Jalen, Daniel Tice makes $5 million. Uh, you know, he could be a potential guy you could move because it's expiring. Cancer, $5 million. So it's a, you know, it's a difficult thing to make a trade, especially for some of these high, like the, oh, let's get Drummond. Like, well, Drummond makes $25 million. So who are you going to move besides Hayward? Because Hayward's going to have to be the guy if you're – thinking about trading somebody who makes $25 million a year because the salaries would match. On top of that, too, Gary, a lot of time people just fall in love with names and, and names on paper or they look at an individual category, a statistic, like we know Andre Drummond is an elite rebounder. But, again, you know, you tell me if you think otherwise. Andre Drummond isn't a good fit in Boston. He doesn't play to, the, to Brad Stevens' system the way that you want a guy out there. No, I think that Stevens could probably work with him better to make him to to maximize his, his talents. I mean, I think he can be a better rim protector. He's an amazing rebounder. He's a better free throw shooter. I, I mean, I think Drummond's one of those guys that Stevens looks at him and goes, wow, if I had him for a few months and could work with him, man, I could make him into a star. You know, not just a numbers guy. Um, not just a guy who – on occasion puts up 20 rebounds, but then when he plays against Embiid, he gets flattened, or Detroit's still nine games under 500 because he doesn't make winning plays. I think if you're, um, if you're Brad, I think that's what you would, uh, I think that's what you would, you know, you would want. You know, you would, you would, you would look at him and go, man, I could work with that guy, but I don't think he's worth, you know, gutting out your roster. No. Um, you know these are difficult. These are you know these are the difficulties of making an NBA trade. Is that you got to have the salaries to match, um, and the Celtics have you know gotten to a point where they don't have back. You know there's no Gerald Wallace. There's no Keith Bogans. There's no guys. You know Courtney Lee. There's no guys on those were the roster, days. Yeah, uh, who are just hanging out and waiting to get traded. All their players who get paid are useful. Well, and and we don't really need to dissect this, but you know, you mentioned Marcus Smart a couple of times, who I think is is maybe the last guy Danny Ainge would ever want to trade. I think he's he just loves him that much, and and I know a lot of fans do. I certainly do. But when it just comes down to salary structure, you got a whole bunch of really high contracts. You got some really low contracts. There's really only that one middle of the pack, mid tier that. 11 12 13 million dollar contract which is Marcus Smart who you don't want to part with. So you're either going for the gusto like you said dealing a, a Hayward type to try and get another max level or close to it player or you're trying to compile some lower salaries and hope they add up to maybe a guy who's a little bit more and freeing up roster uh, spots in the process and and I don't know maybe you elevate another guy from Maine or something like that. You know, it's a multiple players for one, that type of thing. So it's Danny Ainge, Mike Zarin, these guys are incredibly creative, but there's not a lot of flexibility there when it comes to the money. No, not at all. And that's the thing. I mean, um, when you're, I mean, Danny's done what a lot of GMs like to do. I want every player in my roster to have a purpose. I don't want a guy sitting at the end of the bench who's overpaid, who's waiting to get traded. And I think that that's uh, what he's done. But unfortunately, you have uh, play like you're going to have to lose, take a, take a loss to get one of these guys. You know, um, the, the Pistons probably would love to have Hayward because he can opt out, or he's only got one more year left in his deal. He could be, you know, uh, a real playmaker for them. But are you? Do you want to change the face of your roster by doing that? You know, that, that that would be a real chance, you know, like remember uh, seven years ago, the Kendrick Perkins trade, mm-hmm. um, where you gave up Perk thinking Shaq was going to come back and you got uh, Jeff Green in return, who and it didn't work out. Green wasn't the difference maker. Green didn't have the, the motor, the drive, all the above that you were hoping he'd get coming to Boston. It didn't work out. And you changed kind of the face of your roster by trading Perk. Um, this would be the same situation. 
Still hate that trade. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Perk's been on the show. You've talked to him plenty of times too. He's he's even defended Danny, maybe because he's just trying to uh, you know say the right things as he starts to make that media career flourish. But I, ugh, I hated that trade. Hated it then. I hate it now. One quick break to tell you that football and basketball seasons, they're in full swing. So get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, betonline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional ball. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bet, parlay, tease your way through the season. You have all sorts of options. You can even bet on wild prop bets. Who's going to win the college football playoff? Who's going to be NFL MVP? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? NBA champion? There are a bunch of things at your disposal. You can get the fastest market odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to BetOnline today on your mobile device. Join and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Get back to the show. Gordon Hayward has come up a, a number of times here already in the first little bit that we've been talking. So let's talk about Hayward because he's back two weeks earlier than expected. A lot of people was, you know, right around Christmas time was the expectation with that timeline. Comes back, obviously, in that game against Cleveland, which is a good soft landing, good way to re-entry for him into the lineup and returns with his smart, playmaking, efficient self, 14 points, 7 of 10 shooting, 26 minutes. Said the hand felt good and uh, added. Um, I got some easy looks, so um, getting one in transition felt good. Uh, anytime you get a layup, definitely makes the rim get a little bit bigger for you. But, um, you know, I think it's it's a lot easier this time to come back from something when you can run around and um, you don't have to uh, rest your leg. So it's just my left hand. So that, that made it a lot easier. Hayward, of course, having broken the hand November 9th in San Antonio. And so it's, it's great that he's back. I think people are thrilled about it, as they should be. You know, the thing that I was looking forward to most going into that game last night that we'll see eventually, maybe even in this next game, but we didn't see last night, was how Brad would kind of manage the rotations when he had his top six. But then, obviously, Marcus Smart doesn't play. So Hayward is does, I think, what you would have expected and balances out there with Tatum and with Brown and with Kemba. You know, all these guys, or at least the other three, all go for 19-plus. So it's consistent to what we've seen so far this year. But what impressed you most seeing Gordon back out there, and what are your expectations for him going forward in the next little bit? I just think Gordon's going to get better. I think he's going to be more of a playmaker. I think you can look at to the first um, <clears throat> nine games or eight or nine games of the season before he got hurt in San Antonio. I think he's going to definitely have uh, that type of impact where he's going to take pressure off Jalen and off Jason um, and Kimba, you know. I mean, now you got four guys who can score over 20 points on, on any given night. I mean, I think that's a luxury in a league that's really offensive right now. I mean, this league is definitely um, – a lot of offenses being scored, so uh, a lot of points being scored. Excuse me. So uh, I think they're going to. I think they desperately need a guy like Hayward, especially against the elite teams who are going to play good defense and they're going to shut down and double Kimba and blitz uh, Tatum. That fourth option is critical. So I think uh, the sky's the limit in terms of what Hayward can do, and I think that uh, we just saw started to see him get comfortable in his own skin and his own game, get his confidence back before he got hurt. So if you're a Celtic fan, you hope that he can stay healthy and, um, you know, get 30, 40 games under his belt, and let's see what happens in April. As good as Hayward is, as great as Kemba Walker is, and we'll talk more about him coming up here, it's really a – the future is now territory with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Brown gets the fat new contract, which I thought was a good one at the time. I know a lot of people were uh, were made a little queasy about it, wondering how a, a guy of that caliber gets that kind of money, an extension that hasn't even kicked in yet. The four for 100 plus and already looks well worth it. He's having himself a career year, uh, I would think, is, is in a conversation for consideration to be an all-star. But it's in particular, and Tatum, of course, averaging 20 plus right now, these two guys are uh, are thriving individually and together and here's what brown said about his relationship with tatum i guess we feed off each other i guess like uh we got you know kind of different games kind of opposite but it makes sense it's like fire and ice so um, we just try to come out and be aggressive at first it was like um 
we was cool, but at the same time, we was totally different. So we kind of just was, did, our, did our own thing. But as we got older, it kind of just makes sense. At first, I didn't like JT. No, I'm just, not, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Uh, no, nah, that's my guy. He's a, he's a good dude, family-oriented, and he, he handles himself um, the same way every, every, every day. So you can't, you can't really be too mad at anything like that. You can really tell over just media sessions, and you know it better than I do. You're there, but how uh, comfortable, how much more comfortable in his skin and in his role and with this team and in this city and on and on and on Jalen Brown seems to be this year as compared to previous years. And maybe that's because Kyrie Irving's gone. I know there was friction there, or maybe it's as simple as he's got the contract. He doesn't have to think about that anymore. Maybe it's the role and he knows he's starting, not coming off the bench. Maybe it's all the above, but... You know, the, the ceiling is even higher than I think a lot of people thought coming into the year. I think Jalen, yeah, has a lot of potential. And I think that him and Jason are different. And I think Jason is a guy who is a basketball player, just a natural ball player. I think Jalen is an athlete who is learning how to play basketball. Um, and I think if you really look at, uh, you know, some of the greats of the game and the history of the game, there, there are guys who come into this league that are just great players, good shooters. They're polished. You know, you look, you know, you look at a guy like a Pierce or Ray Allen or Kobe, like guys that just know how to play ball. I think Jalen was more, and I'm not comparing him to a LeBron James, like, oh, he's got the LeBron <laughs> talent. LeBron was a physical freak who over the last 17 years has really learned how to be great at basketball, in my opinion. I think that, you know, his first few years were, you know, the dunks and the high-flying plays, but, you know, then you see the turnaround jumpers and three-pointers and, the, you know, touching the, touching the layups off the glass when he can't get to the rim, like becoming a great basketball player. I think some guys are naturally gifted in basketball. Or they, it's, it's from the AAU and playing when they're six, seven years old, beginning when they're that age, and uh, just being natural hoopers. Like I said, I, I would say a Kobe Bryant's like that. And I think Tatum is in that mold where I think Jalen came really raw out of college one year um, as this athlete who, when he gets it, he'll be – you know, he'll be a, a monster. And I think that that's what Celtic fans are beginning to see, that he's learned how to shoot the three, especially in the corner. He's learned how to use the glass. He doesn't have to dunk everything. That's what the, the nuances of the game. It's learning how to play. Um, and I think Jalen was behind Jason in, in, for a considerable time in that category, and I think he still is, but – you could just see the step back. The the, the skill set is, is sharpening. And that's what I think Celtic fans, um, when they were unsure about Jalen Brown, that's what I think they were unsure about. Well, yeah, he can jump out of the gym, but we need a guy to hit a three. We need a guy to post up. We need a guy to make a tough layup in traffic. Can Jalen do that? And I think he's answering those questions. Do you think Jason has taken the leap after all of the – you know, feedback, maybe not so welcome feedback that he received last year about, oh, you've taken a step back or, oh, you've, you've stabilized. You know, when when are you going to take that step forward? And here we are, quarter of the way into the season, and, you know, the numbers are obviously gaudy. But ignoring that, what he has done on the floor, are you much more impressed compared to what you were watching him last year? Yeah, I mean, he's taking more threes as he should. Uh, and I also think that Jason is being more – Steady. I mean, there's th- times, you know, complaining too much to the officials. Um, but if you look at his numbers, Adam, he's taking three more ga- threes a game. That's, that means that's three less of those 21-footers, 20, uh, the 19-footer step backs he was taking mm-hmm. last year. He's just becoming more efficient. Um, um, he's not afraid to take the three. He was a little bit – I don't know what happened um, – to the three, you know, to why he was so afraid because he shot 43% as a rookie, um, you know, tremendous season as a rookie, but then suddenly, to, you know, started selling for those step-back twos. But I think he's been more 
involved. He's been, I mean, his assists, I mean, uh, three assists a game. He's leading the team in rebounding, uh, 7.2. So he has had a complete season. He's playing well defensively. He's, he's engaged defensively. Um, you know, sometimes he still takes some questionable shots or, you know, complains a little too much to the officials or, you know, but I think he's just taking that natural maturity step with his game where, yeah, he could be all-star considered for an all-star him and Jalen. I mean, that, you know, someone from the South is going to have to go, you know, no, I think he'll have at least only, two. Yeah. It might just be only Kim, but we'll see, um, depending on, you know, because of, uh, you know, respect and history and Kim was a three-time all-star, but, you know, Jason could definitely be one of those guys, and I think that he's played like it. Yeah, I think Kemp is absolutely going. I mean, that's that to me is a, a virtual certainty, and I, I think the other two absolutely are in consideration, like you said. On Kemba, I'm glad you brought him up because I think we've all been impressed not only with his play but his just general demeanor, disposition, the way he fits in, the chemistry, the leadership, all of it. A comment Brad Stevens made the other day, and I'll play it here, I think is, you know, with all of the great talent that has come through here, the great people that have come through here, the guys that, that he has absolutely adored as as people and as players for him. You know, Isaiah Thomas comes to mind, uh, the way that, that he would compliment him and, and his underdog story. It's hard to think of a time that praise has been more effusive than it was for Kemba Walker after this latest win. You know, I just told the team afterwards, I said, if you want to be special, um, then um, model after Kimba. Because Kimba sits over there, thinks his night's done, gets put back in the game, drills three threes, and ends it. I mean, special is not for everybody. <laughs> but that's just, that's just different. Like, that's just always ready, always wanting to be called upon, always loving to play. You know, he's not... not not untying his shoes he's he's staying ready because he knows that this game can change in a heartbeat gary i'm not sure there's anything more annoying as a kid than if you know your parent says why can't you be more like your brother or something like that that's basically what brad stevens did last night but in a a very complimentary you know non uh i don't know contradictory or combative way anything like that it's just it's so clear that it's okay. Kemba's just that he is this perfect player in a lot of different ways and person. And if if we could have 15 of him, we're in great shape. Never mind just the talent, but the people. How did you feel hearing that and, and just thinking back to, you know, the Brad Stevens era and the way he's talked about other players? Well, I think he thinks greatly of Kemba, and he should. I mean, Kemba has been a perfect addition to this team. Um, he has fit in wonderfully with um, the rest of the team. The chemistry has been great. He has not demanded anything. He cheers his teammates on. And I, and I, um, and I don't want to start doing the whole, like, he, you know, Kyrie was terrible and Kyrie was, you know, didn't want his teammates to succeed. And Kyrie was, all he wanted was to shoot and, and score, and he didn't care about, like, no, I'm not going to, you know, like, Kimba and Kyrie are two different people. And Kyrie, I think, was supportive in some ways. and But I think Kimba has just got such a giddiness about playing on a team that has a chance to win every night. And after eight years of, of tough times in Charlotte, you know, three playoff appearances, all first round. He's never won a playoff series. He's, you know, be 30 years old next year. He wants to win. I think he understands that this is a sacrifice to it. I mean, I talked to uh, Will Barton from the Denver Nuggets last week about how that team is so evenly talented. You know, you got Jokic, Millsap, Harris, Murray, Barton, you know, you got like six guys, seven guys who are about the same level of talent with maybe Jokic being uh, a little ahead. And he said, listen, man, if you want to win this league, you need teammates who are good. Like you can't be complaining about your teammates doing well and then, and, 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 you know, wanting to win. Like, you need teammates that are that are talented. You need guys on this team just as good as you are to win. This is what the NBA is about. 
And that kind of stuck with me. And I think in the same situation with Kimba. Like, I think Kimba's like, listen, I'm, I'm tired. I was tired of playing with Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Nicole, Nicholas Batum and Frank Kaminsky and Cody Zeller and being told that those guys are going to be all-star caliber players. Hmm. I'm here now with playing with real all-star caliber players, playing with guys who are complete pros and who are taking that next step. So I think that for Kimba, there's a, an excitement there that, like, man, this is really happening to me. So, no, I don't need to carry the load every night. I think what happened was, you know, we don't watch Charlotte every night. We didn't see what Kimball was going through the last eight years. Of It's the fourth quarter. The Hornets are down seven. Okay, I got I to score, score 15 in the last five minutes for us to win. That's a lot of pressure. And there was nights he did it and was amazing, and nights he wasn't probably wasn't able to do it. And I think now he knows he doesn't have to do that. And he can come in like last night when the Celtics were kind of flirting with a lead and the Cavs were making runs, and I think it cut a 29-point lead to 11, and it was kind of uncomfortable. It was like, come on, guys, you know, if you're the Celtics fan, you know, finish these guys off. These guys are – you know, and there's Kimba coming in, hitting back-to-back threes to make the lead 20 again and kind of walking off the floor. A closer, the Mariano Rivera, that's what you need. Hmm. I think he's fine with that because he doesn't need to score. He's averaging 21 points a game. That's fine. There's times he's going to go for his 35 or 37 when the three is on. You get into the line, he's finishing at the rim. But I think the relief of not doing, having to do it every night not having to deal with that pressure of like, <clears throat> excuse me, okay, um, it's going to be me because I don't see Jeremy Lamb scoring 10 points in two minutes. Uh, I think it's a relief for him. And I think that's what makes Brad so happy. Speaking of relief, Grant Williams in that game last night finally buries the first three-pointer of his career after 25 misses. This is crazy. Right? i got more media right now than I have my entire life. <laughs> Uh, but it was it was a good good moment. I think everybody was happy. I think uh, I saw Brandon Bailey, his uh, development guy. I saw him getting pretty ecstatic about that because they work every single day. And I, I tease him a little bit, man. Like, Y'all got to go game speed, man. He's not. This not game speed. Um, and he's like, get out of here, f you, Jalen. And uh, so it's good to see him knock one down. Yeah, we were calling him Ben Simmons for the longest. <laughs> um, but uh, he knocked one down, and, and Ben knocked him down too. So shout out to both of those guys. Like I said before about Jalen Brown being comfortable in his own skin and just free with the mic and all that stuff, that Ben Simmons line, I mean, that's, that's skull face emoji moment on Twitter. Stone Cold Killer throwing that out in uh, both complimenting Grant Williams and insulting Philadelphia in the process. Yeah, I probably think he meant to take, he probably would take that back considering Philadelphia's coming in. <laughs> right. On, um, I'm, and I'm not saying that, you know, that's not what they called him, but I think if you, you know, I mean, the, the quote, you, you ran the full quote at him, and there were, you know, people who were just saying, oh, we were calling him Ben Simmons. But then, as you see, you know, Jalen basically said, you know, props to Williams and Simmons for hitting threes and, and, you know, credit to them as opposed to, you know, he kind of wanting to frame it positively because he knows how that came across. Right. But you're right. Um, he is more relaxed this year, and I think that it has something to do with Kyrie's departure, but also taking more of a responsibility in the team and more in the response, a better environment, more responsibility in a team's success. Um, it's a it's a partnership now, not a monopoly as a, I think it was last year where it was Kyrie and the guys. Um, it's Kimba doesn't kind of operate that way. I think Jalen and Jason both feel real invested, and Jalen should. He's made they just paid him 115 million dollars. So uh, if I'm Jalen, I'm feeling pretty good too and pretty comfortable. Because the team has invested in you, you know, a team that hadn't signed a rookie extension in ten years signed you to one, um, to where you're making nearly thirty million a year. So uh, I would feel very comfortable too if I were Jalen. 
Last break to tell you today's show, also brought to you by ExpressVPN. I live in Boston, but I like watching everyone as much as possible. Helps me stay smart when I'm talking to you as opposed to just pretending. And watching teams outside of Boston used to be a big pain because they don't always show their games in my area. This season, I discovered an amazing trick that lets you watch every single NBA game live for a fraction of the normal cost. It's called ExpressVPN. Here's how it works. NBA offers NBA League Pass, right, which lets you stream games online. But if you live in the U.S. or Canada, it doesn't let you watch all of them. Some games are blacked out. So what do you do? Fire up ExpressVPN and use it to change your location to a different country. Buy and use the NBA League Pass from there, and boom, no blackouts. Depending on the country, NBA League Pass could cost less than 15 bucks for a whole year. ExpressVPN works on your computer, phone, router, and consoles, just like Fire TV, so you can watch all the games from any device. ExpressVPN also encrypts your data, keeping it safe from hackers. Enjoy all 1,230 games of the NBA season in HD with the world's most trusted VPN, ExpressVPN. Use my special link today to get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Celtics, after which you can sign up for NBA League Pass at a huge discount. That's expressvpn.com slash Celtics, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Celtics for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Celtics to learn more. Let's get back to Gary. I want to hit on this with you uh, relatively quickly anyway because, you know, much like our, our Hall of Fame discussion not too long ago, this is another type of topic we could spend a whole show on, but... Uh, especially as a, a national guy covers the entire league and, and talks to people around the league and has perspective of the whole league. There's that conversation right now of different ways that the NBA is looking to improve upon itself, change things. You know, I think there's a little bit of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But still, the 75th anniversary season is on the way. And there's been talk, speculation, reports of adding tournaments, midseason tournament, uh, just to, you know, try and limit load management and guys sitting out and and tanking for draft picks, and much like in college or in soccer, giving people an, an incentive or, or motivation to win something in the middle of the year just to kind of keep the season going along because it is a, a months-long slog. And then you get to the end of the season and, and a potential play-in tournament for the playoffs in, in some ways that are similar to baseball's wild card. And, you know, what would come along with that and yada, yada, yada. If people haven't read the articles, they can do so. Before I get your take, very quickly, here's what Ainge said about just the idea of the NBA even doing this. I'm not against it. I, I would say my my opinion would be, why not? Why not try it? See how it goes. And, um, you know, you don't have to make a change and, and be stuck with the change forever, but I, I, I'm not opposed to it. I know they do it in Europe, and it's been, uh, I think, successful. I don't think it's as great as everybody else thinks it is, but I think it's fine, and... Um, I think, you know, the French League, they take great pride in the French Cup and the Spanish Cup. And I think that those are those are interesting events that I've attended and a little bit more than a normal regular season game. So I'm for it. I don't know the details of what's going to ha- what's going to come out of it, but I'm, I'm aware of the discussions going on and um, excited to see what they come up with. Gary, I'm not for it. I think it's stupid. But what's your opinion? Um, I'm not against the play-in tournament or play-in game for the playoffs. I think the mid-season tournament is a ridiculous idea. I think we are not in Europe. This is not soccer. This is the NBA. This is what the season's about. This is not the Maui Classic. This is not the Great Alaska Shootout. Leave that for college, where you can put the banner up in your – this is the NBA. This is a professional league. Winning the Eastern Conference tournament in February is not going to make a Celtic fan excited. I just don't get that. I think it's hilarious. I think it's great to want to model certain things after international soccer, but that's not the culture that we grew up in. That is the culture that the, they grew up in in France and Germany and England where they had – these mid-season tournaments. But I must admit, Adam, I am completely still confused about who plays what in, in international soccer and what's a league game and what's a friendly, like, let's, <laughs> let's not mess with that. Yeah, it's not for me either. You know, I'm, I'm surprised, though, that 
you're not against uh, – I won't so go so far as to say you're for it, but I think, as you said, you're not against the play-in tournament at the end. You know, to me, it's, I think, part of the reason that – that obviously you, think, you fight for seeding and it's important to finish seven, eight and, and to, to, you know, avoid you ties a, and that sort of thing. It, you know, oh, if you have seven, go against eight and then the winner of that or, or the loser of that, I should say, go against nine and 10 and, and it's was, weird. I don't, you know, I think it's like if, if, if eight is five games ahead of nine, no, hell no, you should not have some playing tournament to, so the team with 35 wins against a team with 40 wins, and the winner of the game gets in. No, like which could happen. Yeah, I don't think. I think you would have to. It would depend on the season. Um, I think, like, let's say if you have two teams tied for the the eighth spot, you could have a game to decide the playoff. I think that would be the idea I would stick with. If you have two teams who have forty wins and they're the eighth seed, or you have two teams that are tied at six and seven and the winner gets six and the winner gets seven. You could do that, you know, um, to break playoff ties as opposed to going to conference record or head to head. I mean, you know, if you want to um, spice it up that way, but I don't think the, I don't think there's anything wrong with the NBA. I don't think there's too many games. I don't think that they need a midseason tournament. That's not going to mean anything to guys who are making $25 million a year mm-hmm. to win Eastern Eastern Division, the Atlantic Division tournament, it's not going to mean anything. You see, do you see LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard playing these tournaments? Do you really think that? Like, I, it's ridiculous to me. This is not the G League. I was watching the G League game the other day, the main game, and they had the rule where one free throw means two. No, what are you doing? <laughs> it could be like MTV Rock and Jock with a 25-point shot. Yeah, like I was looking at – the one guy from uh, the Wisconsin team was at the line. Two, you know, he had two free throws. He hit one. They counted for two points. <clears throat> Wait a minute, you're killing the the basis of basketball is two free throws. <laughs> now we're cutting out free throws. Like it's great that Silver is an open-minded guy. I get it. It's nice. One, we don't need a team in London, and two, we don't need a mid-season tournament that is going to mean nothing to dudes who are literally making $30 million a year. Like, like that has no significance or meaning to an NBA championship. No, I mean, the, the only thing that you could do, and this isn't necessarily something that would motivate the players, but it would motivate management and coaches to basically make them play in these games and not, you know, do the whole load management thing for these tournaments would be if, and I, I know Mark Stein and others have written about this possibility, you incentivize teams where at the at the end of the whole thing, you know, if you, you're not just winning this East Division midseason crown or whatever the hell, you're getting a draft pick. And, you know, much like baseball, you would then have some compensatory picks where or, or uh, you know, mid-round picks where you just insert a couple draft picks in after the first round, before the second round, that type of thing. Then teams say, okay, well, this is important for us to win this because we're going to get extra draft capital out of it. Then, you know, I I can understand the motivation. I still don't like it. I'm not for it. But at least then I could understand how a team would be motivated by it. Teams say that, Adam. Players don't give a care about draft picks. No, of course. But if they don't have have any choice over whether to play or not, then, you know, that's... So you're throwing them out there in a midseason tournament so they can, you know... Break their backs so uh, their team can get a sandwich pick, like between the first and round. Yeah. Like, to me, like that's. I mean, I just I just think if you're there's going to have to be cash incentive or some type of other incentive for the player association to sign off on this. I think the season is fine. You have the All Star game. You do not need these mid season. I, I just don't understand how this is going to work. Is it going to count toward the standings? Is are are you going to raise a banner in TD Garden when you win the Atlantic <laughs> Division tournament? This is not the Maui Classic. This is not, uh, you know, the Great Alaska Shoot. I, I, I just keep saying yeah. that this is not the East Coast Athletic Christmas Tournament. This is that's high school. Yeah, that's college. Yeah, when you're one of 360 teams. Division one basketball teams and you win a tournament, that's a huge deal because there's there's only one team that can win the championship. And it's not going to be Elon or South Carolina State or 
Alaska Anchorage, right? So when you win a tournament and you're one of those teams, Nevada or New Mexico State, that is a big deal because you, the chances are minuscule, less than – I mean, we can, we can go and uh, live for the rest of our lives on the money we would make to bet New Mexico State to win the NCAA tournament. So it is a big deal. This is not college. And I just think – and I, I think it's the same with soccer. You have so many damn teams that, yeah, winning these tournaments for them is a big deal when it's 100 teams over the, the continent of Europe and there's 24 leagues. This is 30 teams. So winning some midseason tournament, how big of a deal is that really going to be? I just think we got to leave college and college. I think that's big for college. Because it's memories, and you can hang the banner. Hey, in, 19, in 2007, we won the Maui Classic. That's great. You know, when a team – but or it's like when a team goes to the Sweet 16 or something like that, Davidson makes an unprecedented run to the Sweet 16. Hmm. Um, that's great because we all know David, Davidson has no chance to win the title, none, zero. I'm with you, and I, I I couldn't agree more. I appreciate you coming in hot with it. Let's do this for the last uh, last couple minutes I have you here. I've got a handful of Twitter questions that I solicited. I'll just go rapid fire with them. You can you know and answer in a couple of sentences. Here's the first one from Brian. Uh, with Gordon Hayward back, do you expect Jalen Brown to continue to put up his numbers? Yeah, because I think they'll take turns. I mean, last night, 21 points. I I think that the wealth will be shared. Um, and I don't think, you know, I think that the guys understand that it will make e- things easier on offense for them if guys are playing uh, close-up, I mean close-up, doubling, uh, more focus on on Hayward or doubling Tatum. It will make it easier for everybody uh, when defenses are focused on other guys. So I, I definitely think that it will be easier for them. From T. Mills, would Kevin Love be a good addition, knowing this team needs a big but not sure that he fits exactly what they're looking for? Um, not with three years and $90 million left on his deal, no. I mean, I think he's a, a good place, still averaging a double-double, um, but it's. I just think the price at this point is too high. Brett wants to know, can you think of any big men that are expected to be bought out this season? I really that, – that's a, that's a good question. Like, who – like – I'd have to look at players in the final year, their contracts. I mean, if you look, you know, I thought they could have um, – a guy like Dwayne Dedman isn't playing much in Sacramento. You know, he, he's a guy who could help. You know, there are guys around the league, especially now with this – with December 15th and guys can be traded, there's going to be guys out there available. But to sit there and think that there's going to be some center waived from a bad team and allowed to sign with anybody, that's – the Celtics' best hope, but even then they have a roster spot. They'd have to, like, cut a Javante Green or cut Poirier, which I think probably is the, is the most likely possibility. If they don't if, – if Poirier doesn't improve over the next couple of weeks and prove to be an asset, I think his roster spot is the one that would be uh, prime for slicing. Um, but it's, it's hard to say, like, okay, these are the – these are the centers that are going to be available through through uh, being released or being waived. But I do think that there's going to be some guys out there um, available, but not probably to the liking of you know Celtic fans or who are, who are known. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the list of free agents now, Adam. It just isn't you know potential free agents or isn't mm-hmm. a guy that you're gonna that is out there. Um, that's going to be available, uh, you know, Bobby Portis, team option for $15 million. you know, Mason Plumley, but Denver's not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no guy sitting on the end of a bench right now, I would say, that is like, okay, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to cut him. This one here from uh, D.G. Smith-Ward. Are the Celtics better off without Al Horford? Because despite everyone thinking Al was a huge loss, is it turning out the team is actually better without him with the way it's playing? Definitely more up-tempo and fun to watch. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, you know, do I think they'd be better defensively with him? Yes. Uh, are they moving on without him? Fine, yes. 
I don't want to say, oh yeah, man, they didn't need, they didn't need that was great for them to, to for Al to leave. I do think though, Adam, that if Al doesn't leave, they don't get Kemba. So Correct. I mean, if Al stays and they're playing with Terry Rozier as their point guard, who knows what happens? You know, that's a that, you know that's an interesting scenario if Al decides to stay. Um, none of this goes down. You know, you've got you you've got some guy. You know, you've got Jason and Jalen and Gordon, but you also have Terry as your point guard. Likely, if they decide to invest long term in Terry or a stopgap point guard, you don't get Kimba. So, they might be better off with um, out Al, not because they didn't need Al services, but because they were able to get Kimba because of that. Interesting one from Dan. I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past. You acknowledged it in this show as it relates to another team, but Gordon Hayward, does he opt out of his deal at the end of the season? Do you think his agent has already informed the Celtics of this, and how would that impact his status at the trade deadline? And Dan writes, I'll hang up and listen. Um, I don't think his agent has informed them. I do think it's something the Celtics are totally thinking about, like they did last year with Al, where it all depends on how do you want to keep Gordon, do you want to work out a deal, a longer-term deal with Gordon. If Gordon has averages 19 points a game and has a great year, does he look and say, listen, I'm 30, I can get a max deal on open market, uh, but this is not a great free agent class, so he might be one of the top free agents out there if he decides to opt out. Uh, do, do the Celtics say, listen, we got to pay Jason, so to bring you back on a max deal and have uh, four max guys or three and a half if you count Jalen uh, making 28, you got Kimbo, remember, then you got Jason making that 170 because that's what he's going to ask for, the Ben Simmons deal. Especially if the Celtics go far in the playoffs, James go, hey, where's, where's my, you know, back up the Brinks truck. Hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't work for Isaiah, but it might work for Jason. Um, and then, so are the Celtics going to hold on and be a luxury tax team and pay guys for max deals? Or will Gordon accept a below market deal at 25 per, like let's say Draymond Green did, for the security being 30 years old, coming off a major injury, and and knowing that maybe he didn't give because he couldn't possibly uh, physically wise, didn't give enough, or didn't get the best out of his Celtics experience. So he says, "Listen, I'll take 100 million over four years and come back and be part of this team for future." It's a lot of possibilities. A great question. People aren't really thinking about it because people are like, "Wow." Uh, Gordon's contract's up. Yeah, remember that year that he spent out, he got paid, and that was a year of service time. So it, it didn't his contract didn't get delayed. So as much as this is his second year in the Celtics, his third year of his contract. So that's a lot going on. You know, he's a good agent, Mark Bartelstein, who, who has gets along well with the Celtics. So I don't think it's going to be anything acrimonious. But I do think that Gordon's got to think about his future. The Celtics have to think about whether they want to pay him into his 30s and what they're going to do because Jason's coming up. And if they don't pay Jason um, next summer and make him a restricted free agent, uh, I don't know how that's going to go down. So you've got a lot happening. Wash hour in the books. I think that's a good place to end it. Really appreciate it, as always. Adam, thanks a lot. As usual, great stuff, great insights, great knowledge from Gary Washburn, and a lot of great questions going forward as well for this team and looking down beyond, obviously, the season when it relates to things like Gordon Hayward's contract. But living in the now, living in the moment, and just how great this has been. Again, 17-5, and five, big back-to-back coming up. Hayward's healthy. Marcus Smart should be back, if not this next game or the game after, very, very soon. We're not talking about an injury here. We're talking about an eye infection. So this team, barring injuries, will be at full strength for a period of time for really the first time all year. And I'm looking forward to seeing exactly what is in store and if maybe they can live up to the potential that I have hopefully not unreasonably set for them in my own mind with how well things have gone. Today's show, once again, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. The show is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. 
Get three months free when you purchase a yearly subscription by going to expressvpn.com slash Celtics. Thanks again to Gary, to my producer Evan Valenti, Nick, Larry, John, everybody at CLNS Media. Of course, say it all the time, most especially you. We welcome your feedback. Get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. If you like the shows, I hope you do. Go to iTunes. You can subscribe. Just search Celtics or Celtics Beat. It'll pop right up. And, of course, leave ratings, reviews. They go a long way. They really mean a lot. And our sponsors like them, too. Till next time, and hopefully a couple more wins in the books before that next one. Play us out, Gino. Gino.